Welcome, everyone. This is All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 181, recording this on Wednesday, the 25th of May, 2016. After a gap of only nine days, we're getting better, Rafe. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm Steve Litchfield, and I have Rafe Blanford with me. Yes, hello, everybody. Managed to uh, get back to our almost weekly schedule, recording this just a few days late, but we'll have this up uh, very shortly. And Actually, there's a surprising amount to talk about. Uh, we've only been away nine days, but it seems there's been quite a few number of far-reaching news items uh, some of them directly impinging on the Windows 10 mobile or the Windows phone world, and some of them may be a little bit outside it, but I'm pretty sure our audience will want to hear some of our thoughts and opinions on it, Steve. Yeah, let's start with the, the layoffs. Uh, Microsoft have been doing this in phases. Basically, Microsoft took over or bought uh, Nokia's devices division, and that inc- included... Uh, the manufacturing and distribution and and marketing and all the rest, the, the, the complete network that Nokia basically had built up over many years, very successfully, really. I mean, I think Nokia's distribution and, and manufacturing efforts were second to none, really, certainly five, six, seven years ago. Uh, and so Microsoft acquired an awful lot of this with the d- device division, and they've gradually been basically laying off and, and trimming the fat and chopping bits off, all rather unfortunate for the the sites and the factories and the personnel combined. And they've now said there's another 1,350 layoffs in Finland alone in just today's announcement. Um, my, my feeling, Rafe, is I, it's obviously it's incredibly sad, but that we are world, moving to a world in which companies who design, for example, um, whether they're reference designs or even mainstream smartphones, they think, okay, we've designed it, we've specified it, everything is known about it, how can we make this the most cost-effective fashion? And usually the answer seems to be to go to someone like Foxconn, somewhere in China or similar, and and they can make it for a half or two-thirds the cost as if you had your own manufacturing facility paying your own staff in some factory in, I don't know, Brazil or Finland. And does that seem, seem about right as the world's changing? I, I think that's certainly a big part of this story. Obviously, I think you can't disentangle it from the decline of Nokia in general. And obviously, that also connects in to a certain extent to Microsoft and Windows Phone. But let's address the first thing you were talking about there. Yes, so, you know, I think there's been an inevitable move to the commoditization of phones, which we've been talking about for a while. But even more than that, they've almost become kind of white box goods essentially i mean i'm talking about the equivalent of washing machines fridges and tvs and it's not there's no room for innovation but you know especially in the middle part and the lower part of the market you know they are basically just you know the same um with a slightly different brand on them and even at the high end you know you see the same bits of hardware being used and even within something like camera software, you know, or sorry, hardware, you see the same sensors being used and often the same lenses. You know, I, I still think there's some differentiation going on in software, but it's actually higher up on the software. So again, it's something else we've talked about. But if you look at the rise of brands like um, Wico, for example, in France, or maybe Wiley Fox in the UK, and kind of pick your market, you'll probably find one of these uh, manufacturers as they describe themselves. But really what they're doing is, kind of either licensing or going to China to get their device designed and you know sometimes they'll be putting a unique shell around it but other than that it's very standard very off-the-shelf hardware and like I said it's been happening for a while but that does feel like there's been an acceleration in the last few years and you know it was very noticeable when I was in MWC in Barcelona this year quite a few of those manufacturers about and you know they tend to 
kind of shout about maybe a bit of software customization or some unique design but the reality is most of them are run by sales people who have good connections into distribution networks in one way or another i mean i think you also see this in the rise of the operator branded phones which kind of were a thing sort of five six years ago and actually been making a bit of a comeback you know um ee here in the uk has done it so has vodafone and lots of other manufacturers too so you know, I think that's part of the, you know, the much wider story here in terms of does it make sense for the manufacturing to be done in-house? I mean, you know, people talk about something like Apple is manufacturing their own phones. Of course, the reality is they don't. They are actually relying on other people. But that's much more of a mixed model. But, you know, you look in a lot of other places, you know, those who are dominating now either have tremendous scale, you know, like Samsung, um, or are relying on OEM manufacturers. And, Given the scale that uh, Microsoft and sort of Nokia arrived at, it's not really a surprise to see this happen. Um, I think, as I say, the other side of this is kind of the decline of Nokia, and that's obviously continued into the Microsoft devices division. I mean, when you think about how many people transferred from um, Nokia devices to Microsoft, I think it's something like 25,000 employees. Um, a significant portion of those has moved over to um, uh, FIH Mobile or Foxconn, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, many of the rest of them have been, you know, sacked, been made redundant. Um, it's not actually completely clear how many are left because, of course, these numbers aren't always exactly reported. You don't know, you know, when there's growth and, um, you know, when there's these uh, job losses. But actually, in terms of certainly the device manufacturing, and I think to a certain extent as well, the hardware XPCs in general has moved out of, you know, Finland and some of the other centres where Nokia had had factories um, and there's a much more limited number of staff you know there there are still some uh, design studios and i'm sure there's you know still some um, you know technical expertise and research around but you know much reduced and you know that's been a, a continuing continuing story really um, as this decline of of knock has happened and it's been pretty painful to watch you know both as someone who's you know followed the company for a long time but also kind of that european technology giant that i think a lot of people were quite proud of and, you know, it's easy to kind of talk about the numbers and forget the human impact. We always say that on, on these stories. And, you know, yeah. this one is, uh, it's almost bad to say this, but smaller than some of the ones that have gone before. Um, and I think there was a sense of inevitability about this. I mean, this is really a carry on from last summer where, you know, Microsoft announced it was stepping back from doing the full Lumia portfolio across a range of prices. Now it's going to be much more around a specialised niche device or maybe a few in the enterprise and something in the high end and actually that kind of remains to be seen i mean microsoft in some of the internal commentary they sent out about this do they they're you know, going to keep building devices and we've mentioned in the podcast a couple of times you know, they remain committed to that but it's a completely different scenario from when they bought the nokia devices division when there was this intent to have a full range of devices to play in the mass consumer market you know, now that's definitely been wound back. It's not a surprise, and this is kind of a consequence of it. I suspect this may be happening quicker than was planned or uh, initially realised, simply because the decline has been pretty momentous. And, of course, you know, bear in mind that devices are often in development for a couple of years, and so, you know, it's just it's just a change reality now. Um, but, as I say, you know, definitely saddened by it, um, not altogether surprised, um, it'll be kind of interesting to try and work out just how many uh, people are left at uh, it's Microsoft Mobile OIF, which is what the Nokia Devices division came in, and in, in other places around the world as well. Um, the feature phone stuff has been basically shifted over to someone else now. Um, and so kind of Microsoft 
made massive investment. I mean, if you think of the you know, seven plus billion that it paid for for Nokia, it's had to write most of that off, and you know, it's a pretty you know, it's a pretty damning tale if you you look at it from purely a financial and business point of view. They have not done well with that. Uh, how much of that is down to them? How much of it was inevitable, given the kind of the forces operating in the market, the macroeconomic environment, as the financial results results always talk about, is you know open to debate. Um, is it worth talking about this kind of uh, leaked internal team memo that uh, that Microsoft put out? Because that sort of explains some of the Microsoft thinking behind it. I think. Yes, absolutely. This was uh, a quote, uh, qu- quote leaked via the Verge, or basically put out, but not put out officially. And this is from Terry Myerson to his team and to the the, to the Microsoft employees underneath him. Um, he says, our, "Our phone success has been limited to companies valuing our commitment to security, manageability, and continuum as basically enterprise and consumers who value the same." So basically, talking about enthusiasts, which is people like you and myself and people listening to this podcast. He says, uh, thus, we need to be more focused on our phone hardware efforts. And with this focus, the Windows strategy remains unchanged, which is kind of what I was saying in some of my commentary, that things haven't really changed. But uh, he says there's three points here. One, universal apps have built an amazing platform, a rich innovation roadmap ahead, expanding the devices we reach and the capabilities for developers is our top priority, which is kind of all marketing thing. But we have been talking about this in recent podcasts, right, that universal apps really are the, the kingpin, the center point on the whole Windows 10 and all form factor strategies. So I, I, I'll give him that point. Number two, he says, we always take care of our customers. <coughs> cough, cough. Uh, Windows phones are no exception, he says. We will continue to update and support our current Lumia and OEM partner phones and develop great new devices. Now, there are several things there. One, obviously, we're expecting that Windows 10 Mobile to carry on being updated. That's fine. Um, it also talks about OEM partner phones. I want to come to that in a minute, Rafe. Um, but to develop great new devices, that's a direct quote from his point number two there, which absolutely implies that Microsoft will still is still working on first-party hardware. But we've been saying several times that we're not really expecting to see anything now until uh, the first quarter or two of 2017. So we have got quite a wait ahead of us. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, as you say, nothing's really changed with this, but... I mean, every time you have a piece of news like this, it kind of renews the doom and gloom, if you will. And it's obviously the easy story to write is how how it's down and out. Um, it, frankly, in one sense, it is in the, the consumer market. Um, but clearly, Microsoft, uh, for whatever reasons, and we've talked about that in the past as well, it kind of doesn't want to ban this, partly because of the one Windows vision, partly what it can learn from it. Um, and partly because, you know, as we've talked about, the, that, the actual platform perhaps becoming less valuable um, but the stuff that you learn around it, the services that run on top of it, still still very valuable. Um, I, I, I think you can't look at this and not be somewhat pessimistic about the the future if you're judging it through the lens, as we talked about before, of the Android and iOS ecosystems. I mean, I don't think there's any question there. That's kind of done and dusted. But if you're viewing it through a slightly different lens, you know, um, that Windows story, you know, I think there's still, you know, there's still pages to write. But I think... Yeah. You know, you have to be realistic about this, both as a, um, a Windows phone fan um, or someone who's interested in the platform. But equally, well, you come from the other side, those who write it off and dismiss it kind of are sort of missing the point. It's kind of self-acknowledged, but I guess each side of that argument is always going to look for kind of the easy story and the easy way of explaining it. I, I think there's perhaps more subtlety to it. Um, that doesn't mean to say, you know, I suddenly I'm going, yeah, Windows... 10 mobile or windows phone devices are going to be absolutely massive they're, they're not you know that situation is not going to change 
Um, but it's interesting that that's a pretty strong commitment to continuing to update the existing ones and for there to be uh, new devices. And I think the third point is also interesting where he talks about being steadfast in our pursuit of innovation across Windows devices to create new and delightful experience. Um, you know, the best work for customers comes from device platform service combination it's kind of what i've talked about in order to really understand that future of computing microsoft needs to operate in all these spaces and we know that the smartphone and mobile is going to be central to that and so having a space where it's in complete control i think enables it to understand to experiment and learn in a way it couldn't do if it was just building on other people's platforms so you know it feels perhaps like a very expensive research and development project, but both enterprises are going to benefit from it. And I think the enterprise story may become more divorced from the consumer story in mobility in the years ahead. That's a whole nother debate. Um, but actually, you know, consumers and those who, you know, are interested in the Windows platform will undoubtedly benefit from that. Um, but as I say, you know, it, it feels like we keep repeating ourselves on this particular point, um, but you know, this story comes up, and I think it would be remiss for us not to make some comment about it. Yeah, in that point too, there was the phrase "and OEM partner phones." This is something we haven't really majored on in previous podcasts, or indeed previous stories on the site, Rafe, because we've people generally they associate Microsoft and Lumia and with Windows Phone and Windows 10 Mobile's fate and they kind of rise and fall together but what Microsoft is emphasizing there and what I tried to emphasize a few days ago the end of uh, last week about on Saturday I put up a directory kind of a Steve's directory of the that these OEM partner phones in other words the Microsoft's partners around the world who are building right now and selling Windows 10 mobile specific smartphones. These are not old partners from previous years who've just kind of got old phones kicking around. These are brand new phones launched um, and in some cases yet to launch in the first half of 2016. So we have, for example, Acer, Alcatel, Arcos, Cherry Mobile, Koship, Koship, don't know how you say that. Um, the Funker, <laughs> so, uh, HP, of course, with the Elite X3, uh, Trinity, and Vio. So some well-known names. There's some not so well-known names, and and, of, and I suppose HP and Vio, perhaps the t the two best known and the two biggest there. Um, but I, and I obviously the numbers, the sheer numbers of phones they're selling with Windows 10 Mobile right now is probably quite small, even compared to the the Microsoft Lumia with the, the, the 650, 950XL. But Microsoft's hope is obviously that as the operating system develops and matures and, and as we all know it's taken a while to get to that point um that all of these devices will be updated to the to the redstone builds and during the latter half of 2016 we'll have a very capable software platform and uh, burgeoning numbers and models and variants of from all these different manufacturers and hopefully a few others yet to come so it's a very optimistic vision but you can see the point there that they they're, they're by withdrawing from the consumer market they are leaving a big gap there for people who want to differentiate themselves from the general android mishmash to say okay well we're going to run windows 10 the same as on your pc and some of them these are actually continuum compatible we're going to be different and hey, we're running Windows Windows 10 Mobile. Come and see the uh, the, the plus points. So it, it may take off, Rafe. These 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 numbers may come in to fill the gap and the void left by Microsoft. <laughs> what do you think? I don't think they're they're going to fill the gap left by the Lumia devices because I think the, the the overall strategy, the device strategy, is just different. I mean, certainly if you look at numbers and there's various sources for this, um, it's always been that Lumia devices have dominated the Windows Phone ecosystem in terms of device shipments. You know. As much as ninety eight percent, but certainly well over ninety percent 
Um, I don't think they're going to get replaced in those same numbers. Certainly some of them um, will, will come in, but it's been pretty obvious from, you know, there's been these kind of other OEMs for, around for a while and they've never shipped in absolutely massive numbers. And increasingly these devices are kind of Windows copies of Android devices and actually Microsoft very deliberately made that that possible. But certainly with Windows 10 Mobile, there have been some interesting devices um, from some of the Japanese manufacturers, from HP, from uh, kind of the resurgent Sony Veo brand that are very much enterprise focused. So it'll be interesting to see how those do. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I would just have some caution around that optimism and number of shipments. And, you know, to me, you know, it, it, whenever you see these kind of stories, um, and actually I think we've got some in the comment thread on the site itself, you know, people will always go, oh, but look at the overall market share numbers. And I think you actually rightly said um, that there's been a growing market. So, you know, Windows Phone kind of looks worse than it really is. Um, but there's no question that, you know, Microsoft basically doesn't play in the mass market, in the consumer market. Can it play in that enterprise space? You know, it, it's entirely possible, but it, it's tricky to see that partly because, you know, it's a somewhat artificial divide anyway. And, you know, people use their personal phones in work and, you know, actually the majority of work phones are still going to be iPhone and Android devices. Um, but it does feel like there's still a, a bit of a position. I mean, I, I honestly don't know because, you know, um, it's hard for me to be entirely objective about this especially when you talk about the, the market share with sort of some recent estimates just dropping well below 1%. And I, I don't really see those shipment in terms of device numbers changing anytime soon. But as I say, for me, it's still interesting to think about and talk about Windows, partly because of my history, but partly also because I think there's some interesting conversation to have about where smartphones go in general. But I'm yeah. not really interested in having that conversation about how badly it's doing as a consumer smartphone platform because that that's kind of over and done, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Windows is is gone from there. Um, there's always going to be a committed niche who, uh, you know, stay from a consumer point of view. And I suspect a lot of the people listening to this uh, will will count themselves amongst that number. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, but you know, having that conversation down the pub where they go. What kind of phone is that? And why have you got Windows? I heard that was dead. Yeah, I'm afraid that's something you're just going to have to live with. And, and the reality is it, it's true. But as I've sort of talked about before, to me, it, it's kind of almost in irrelevance in terms of the conversation you have. That's probably a slightly rose-tinted view because, of course, there is still so much power in the platform and in apps. And that's where a lot of the value is derived, of course, in the Android and iOS ecosystems. But I think a lot of what we're going to be talking about on the podcast will be kind of moving beyond on those kind of uh, topics. And certainly, you know, I'm, sh I'm sure we'll touch on them. And there's loads of other podcasts out there that do a very good job of that. Have a listen to Phone Show Chat, for example. It's uh, one of my favorite podcasts. <laughs> Not at all biased there, Steve. Um, <laughs> I, I, and as I say, you know, I, I don't want to do the sort of broken record thing when talking about the, the Windows ecosystem, but... The, the stories and the news that we've had this week and every time someone publishes some new numbers or uh, some new sales figures it's kind of going to be a recurrent theme so i guess we will end up talking about it again um but i kind of want to make it clear that you know not trying to defend it as a, a mass market platform or even particularly as a consumer platform that doesn't mean that there's not some interest to to kind of talk about and i suspect it will become quite a specialist topic in in many ways um and you know, you know that's what the situation yeah. is yeah, and over the last, well, I guess two or three years, really, we've been kind of been guilty all about Windows Phone of concentrating on Nokia and then Microsoft and the Lumia. They, they'd have 
admittedly 97% share of the Windows phone ecosystem. So we had good reasons to. But I think with this ex- this new emphasis really on Microsoft, on its on its partners, um, and the fact that the partners are springing up and are delivering things, maybe not in huge numbers, but they are there, I think we're going to make a special effort over the next few months, uh, Rafe, to try and get some of these devices in and just see what the different manufacturers are doing. Because there are some new ideas there. For example, the... Um, Ace uh, Jade Prima, of course, we know is Continuum compatible, but there's also this their Liquid Extend laptop, which really looks quite tempting. The idea of taking, for example, this is one of the different ideas out there, but to have your phone, whether it's a Lumia 950 or a Jade Primo, as your full, obviously your full smartphone day to day, but you just you then whip out your laptop, which is essentially a very very thin laptop shell with no processing power of its own, and you hook up via a short USB Type C cable, and then that lap, that netbook, that slim lap dock form factor becomes effectively a more or less full Windows 10 PC, but with the full connectivity and the full authentication, we talked about this in previous weeks, that your phone has. So it becomes everything your phone can do, plus you've got the big screen and the trackpad and maybe an extra fingerprint sensor and a full keyboard. That that idea really, really appeals to me. And maybe that's just the geek in me, or maybe there is a genuine use case. I don't know. But either way, I'm going to do my damnedest to get a liquid extended for review in a, a month or two's time when it launches. Yeah, and we're going to actually see something similar from HP with their Elite X3 and the uh, uh, laptop or mobile extender they refer to as well. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, you know, that's obviously going to be something that, that Microsoft is, is going to push. Um, as I say, you know, I, I do think there's a need for some, some realism, but... It sort of annoys me slightly when people go, well, why are you continuing to, you know, record a podcast? Why are you continuing to have a site that, you know, talks about a dead platform? And as I say, it kind of misses the point. I mean, obviously, one yeah. answer, simple answer to that is because I want to, um, because, you know, there's still an audience out there. But but more than that, you know, not trying to pretend that it's it's something that it's not. So that's kind of probably a slightly longer-winded uh, conversation than we we're intending to have, but it does touch on all of this. And I think also you need to be realistic about uh, the Microsoft partners. You know, that's always what they've done in the past. I'm not sure how work, well it will work for them in the phone space. Clearly, there are going to be devices that do this, but you know, as we've kind of mentioned before, you look ahead a couple of years, it's not difficult to foresee a time when it's kind of full windows running on these devices and it's almost continuum in reverse, if you like, in that you'll have Windows 10. And oh, by the way, there'll be kind of the phone version of that that, that works well. And there will be inevitably devices out there that run on that. Um, it's kind of interesting because that's a much bigger conversation about where where the market goes and you know, how platforms work in that space. Because of course, Apple and Google will also face those same same kind of questions, and you know it's not entirely clear what the answer will be, especially as we get the emerging computing platforms that we were talking about kind of in previous weeks, both around kind of conversational UI, but also the immersive stuff with virtual reality and Hololens. You know, I've I've kind of said it before, but I actually think there'll be more flux, more change in computing platforms and the way we do computing, whether it's on phones or whether it's on our desktop in the next you know decade than there has been in the previous decade. And that was all about the shift to mobile. And that was big, but there's there's going to be more of that ahead. You know, if things stayed the same, I would be very surprised indeed. Yeah, I do have another generic topic, which I want to transition to in about five minutes time, Ray. But before that, we've got a bunch of the stuff in the show notes. And if if no other reason than to let you put lots of hyperlinks in the show notes and to reassure you that I have <laughs> been working for my stipend this week, I'm just a mention of it. 
briefly headlines really instagram version 8 is now available for windows 10 mobile only a few days after the android and ios versions i think this is based on the ios code base that's perhaps not surprising but good to see that the official instagram client is there and not in beta etc etc so when people search for it in the store it is there absolutely i'm just going to ask you what do you think of the new icon it's all right. It looks a bit like a washing machine, if people have pointed out. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. What was wrong with it? I kind of preferred the old icon, and it was the kind of the uh, colour gradient that particularly uh, irritated me. But anyway, that's uh, a slightly different topic. <laughs> uh, Windows Phone's PDF Reader, the official Microsoft one, has finally been retired. There's, that, that was, uh, uh, if people may remember, it was came in with Windows Phone 7, and it was official official Microsoft product. But there are various other PDF reading facilities, both third-party and also the fact that Microsoft Edge reads um, PDF files natively and pretty darn well, Rafe. It may not have all the bells and whistles, but I think Microsoft are basically saying, look, we've got one solution. It browser. It means it can handle PDFs online. If you want to do something extra with special fancy bookmarks then there are third-party options why carry on maintaining this old piece of windows phone 7 code so i think that's fair enough yeah absolutely and that's all Ray's going to say on that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I also put up um, uh, a camera head-to-head, Lumia 950 against HTC 10. And in fact, we haven't put it in the show notes, but also the one Lumia 950 against the LG G5, both of which I've had in for review for uh, Android Matters this week, but both of whom um, have a sort of camera specialism, and but both of them failed to live up to Lumia 950. So whatever you may, else you may think of the 950 and Windows 10 Mobile, you can't deny that the 950 and 950 XL are still basically in terms of raw image quality across all scenarios, all light levels, they have a phenomenal camera, especially in low light. Some of the low light shots I've got with the 950 Rafe, you can go out almost in the dead of night, take a photograph, you take it back indoors, and it looks like you took it at three o'clock in the afternoon. You may argue that's not a very good representation of the photograph you're trying to capture, but it, it just goes to show how good um, the Microsoft and the ex-Nokia engineers have got at making OIS, for example. That they, they get longer shutter times for their photos than almost any other smartphone manufacturer, which means more light let in yeah no and that is you know still a big factor i mean we've said it before camera phones the kind of the quality does feel like it's getting close together at the high end but as soon as you start pushing it out to kind of the edge case scenarios and you mentioned low light but you know there's also some stuff around macro for example um you you find that the lumia really comes into its own it'll be interesting to to know from people what they think percentage of photos that actually has a an impact on i mean i know from my own experience i'm pretty satisfied with the results i get from you know the, the high-end android devices i would actually say you know I've, I've had a brief go with both of these devices i was a bit disappointed with the lg device because they've you know been quite good in the past on the camera department kind of they you know they stepped up in the past and this year feels much more like a kind of iterative improvement kind of a small improvement htc by contrast um you know they they've tried quite hard over the years i mean the ultra pixel concept was probably the right approach but wasn't quite executed in the right way maybe the market wasn't ready for it but really liked the thinking behind it and it was quite a brave thing to do um now they've kind of gone a little bit more conventional i mean it's still got the ultra pixel branding and there's still an element of that in there but it's much more like everyone else um, but as a result it feels like they've really stepped up in the camera quality department and there is a noticeable improvement over say the uh, m9 and so you know they deserve a bit of bit of credit for that and i think we said in the previous podcast yeah. the htc 10 has some pretty stellar stellar audio capabilities so um, it, people always ask, you know, which device would you recommend? And kind of the default answer is, you know, well, consider the Nexus devices, particularly when they've just been released. Then look at the Samsung devices. But actually, I would add uh, HTC to my 
to my list of kind of high-end Android devices, and I'd give it the nod over the LG, certainly, and arguably also over the Sony devices as well, um, because I also like what they've done with the software. They've actually gone, um, they've kind of toned back on having HTC versions of applications. They've got a lot more that's kind of feels like standard um, yeah. Google apps and standard look and feel. Um, whether you think that's a good thing is going to be largely dependent on your point of view on such things. I mean, Samsung has a very distinctive look and feel, and actually they've done also a good job of not being too obtrusive about it lg still feels a little bit uh, it's got you know as i say it's a subjective thing um but yeah interesting to see despite all of that and despite all of the investment that's no doubt going on you know the the 950 is still uh, proving its worth and as you say that is almost entirely down to the software algorithms and the engineers and the integration because actually much of the components inside um you know they either share components directly or they're very similar or comparable and um, I think calling out OIS is a, a good one. And I'd also just call out the, the software processing algorithms in general um, and the, that intelligence, particularly around, you know, those multiple exposure versions or flash and no flash, which we've uh, we've talked about quite extensively in earlier podcasts. Yeah. Okay. A couple of more quick stories then. The OneDrive client built into the platform, well, like I say, it's actually in the store and updatable by the store, but you, I consider it part of the platform. Um, is uh, on Windows 10 certainly Rafe. Now it includes an auto screenshot upload. Now this may not be relevant to most people listening to this, but for a journalist and or a blogger or whatever you consider yourself and myself, this is absolutely brilliant. So basically, you can do a screenshot, which is just hold the power and the the screen up buttons at the same time. And the old days, it would save it to the internal disk of the phone, and you have to connect it up to a PC and copy it across or upload the screenshot to OneDrive and then down again. Now, whenever you take a screenshot, and this actually works on the Windows 10 on the desktop as well, uh, if you do a, a shift print screen, either way, it makes the screenshot noise and it automatically uploads it to a specific folder on OneDrive without you having to do anything. So uh, I just thought this was a nice little touch. They, I, whether they did it with me in mind, I, I don't know, but thank you very much, Microsoft. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did it with all the testing that they're <laughs> doing in mind. For anyone yeah. who's ever done software testing, this kind of thing is tremendously useful and certainly it's uh, good to know that you can have it somewhere other than your, your photos folder. So you can kind of leave your photo stream, if you will, unpolluted by all those test screenshots, Steve. Yeah, jolly good. Okay. Um, also note there's the fast ring insiders. I've now got Redstone build 134342. I called this a milestone fix-up release because it seemed quite major to me if you look at the change log. So do go and check your device and check it's still registered. A lot of people find that uh, after they've been fiddling around, they've updated their device and they've been updating applications and maybe they've done a, some reset or other. Uh, quite often you, you can actually get deregistered from that ring. You need to go back into the Windows Insiders application, which now on Redstone devices forwards you through to the relevant pane in the settings hierarchy and just check you are still registered on the fast ring. Just, just occasionally you can get a device you say, well, I'm not getting the update. Everybody else is getting the update. Then you go through to the appropriate setting and think, ah, okay, I, I'm not registered anymore. I need to accept the terms and conditions and agree that I'm going to get this particular update. So do check that if you're not seeing the update. But you should have 14.342. And uh, we're expecting another one probably next week, Rafe. We are expecting an update to the production, i.e. the release preview, uh, the threshold branch sometime this week. So people on the older devices like the Windows, uh, the Windows Phone 8 devices, they've upgraded themselves. Things like the um, 920, 925 and 1020, which I did put up a post a couple of days ago. They will have had to upgrade through the release preview ring, uh, i.e. the late the threshold branch and that is due for an update sometime this week so do watch out for that yeah 
Um, whatever, I think we'll just move on to a generic topic, Ray. This one, I'm sure you'll have something to say on. Android Pay launched um, this this just week just gone. Um, people are saying that Apple Pay wasn't really a success, um, despite the fact that it worked, but not that many people are using it. Uh, I do wonder how many people exactly are going to use Android Pay in the, amongst that huge uh, 85% market share of smartphones across the world. How many of those in, a, in how many markets will actually be using it? But it does raise a very interesting question, which not many people have actually asked, but I'm going to ask anyway where the heck is microsoft pay if they're trying to be the third ecosystem and they have been for the last four or five years how come they haven't made any progress whatsoever seemingly um in having any kind of a payment system along the lines of apple pay and android pay am i missing something i i don't think you're missing something but i think this is an artifact perhaps of not you know having a major mass market um mobile ecosystem and we've talked about that already um Yes, it would be nice to have. And yes, it's something that Microsoft should possibly look at. Um, But you can understand why it hasn't done it. I mean, I imagine it would be very hard to get traction with any banking or retail partners. I wonder whether they might look at it a little bit more in the future, um, you know, for desktop windows and for building that into the platform. Um, It's kind of a sad state of affairs because, of course, uh, Nokia and then the Microsoft devices, chaps, actually had pretty good support for some kind of mobile payments. And in that case, it was operator billing and they were an early pioneer in that market. And certainly the Ovi store and to extend also the Windows uh, phone store had uh, a wider support for operating billing in more countries than anywhere else. Now, uh, Google and Apple have caught up to an extent. And of course, then this Android Pay and Apple Pay is much more about your existing cards and making them work effectively turning your you know, phone into a contactless card, you know, and it's done through NFC and host card emulation on Android and Apple Pay has its own system, um, again, with NFC and tokenization. Uh, there, there isn't really a good answer to why Microsoft hasn't done it other than that they don't really have the volume to justify it. Um, I'm sure if they were still you know, looking to do this big mass market play, they would have investigated and looked into it. They may well have even done so and find that, you know, the investment required kind of didn't didn't make it worthwhile. I mean, have you got any particular theories here? Well, uh, just a disappointment that they haven't thought about Windows 10 across all form factors. When we, you mentioned HoloLens, for example, um, you mentioned Xbox, which presumably you, you people are going to buy games. I know that's a, a living room experience, not out and about. Um, and of course, people with Windows tablets, um, Windows laptops, there's all sorts of reasons other than phones where you might actually want some kind of way way of um, paying for things using your Microsoft account and tied in with financial institutions. So I, I accept the fact that we're in a totally different numbers game to, and a different uh, reasoning to iOS and Android. But I still think there's a there's a use case for Microsoft doing it. I think you're probably right. I bet they've investigated this. That there are lab, Microsoft labs even now working on how this can be accomplished across all the different form factors and the best way of doing it. But so far, no one's yet made a compelling case to the relevant managers that, yes, we should push, push ahead with this. Yes, we should make those agreements with those banks. I think it's probably just still in the waiting game. And we shouldn't uh, forget the fact that it's taken Google with all Google's might and Android with a, a massive, massive um, um, smartphone market share. It's taken them two or three years beyond where we thought that they'd launch it, um, certainly re- relative to Apple. So it, these things are not easy and they do take years. Yeah, and then one of the things that's worth saying here is it really isn't a, a technical limitation because what we're talking about isn't that complex to implement. Yeah. And actually what we've seen in the Android world is a whole bunch of banks launch their own 
contactless payment applications and sort of Barclay Card have done so recently in the UK and a couple of other UK banks such that actually if you have to choose a payment method on an Android phone, you can potentially have 10 or 20 on a phone in addition to kind of Android Pay. You know, various others have done their own wallets or as I say, all these uh, individual banking apps. The the difficult bit is the agreements that you have to put in place. Uh You know, seen with both Apple and Android Pay, some of the banks have been missing from the launch and have been added or come along later. Um, And, you know, there are some cards that it it just doesn't work for um, whatever. And, you know, that kind of hints at the difficulty that I suspect Microsoft would have had to put that in place. I mean, you alluded to the fact they do have Microsoft account and actually that's a way of using your cards, you know, across all the Microsoft products. And so if you're using it in the store, you're buying a video, you're buying stuff from in the Xbox ecosystem, that will generally work. What you don't have, I guess, is the kind of biometric authentication, which is part of the reason it it works so seamlessly. And, you know, particularly for in-app purchases, you know, it it is fantastically useful. Anyone who's kind of paid for Uber or something like Deliveroo or any of these other on-demand services just using, you know, um, Touch ID or Android imprint will know that that's a really useful thing. Um, You know, obviously Microsoft have kind of started to get there in terms of doing uh, Windows Hello and allowing apps to use that to do login and security. And it's not that big a leap to suddenly start doing pay. And interestingly, we've heard relatively recently they're going to move beyond this uh, uh, iris recognition and they're going to have um, other biometrics, including fingerprint. I think the HP Elite X3 is going to be the first of the fingerprint Windows 10 phone, Windows 10 mobile devices. Um, but yes, I mean, of course, you, you see this and, you know, it's actually part of a much wider trend as well in that sort of payment is going everywhere. It's quite hard to think about what the future of the payment instrument is. I mean, the lazy answer is that it's just going to be all in your phone and that's what you're going to use. But for those that have gone through something like the London Underground and tried to use their phone as their payment mechanism there, they'll know that it can be a bit fiddly. So you have to pull it out, maybe unlock it, get to the right screen everything else versus using the Oyster card, which is a very simple tap in, tap out process. Now, Android Pay has um, actually tried to get away from some of that by allowing you to do things without unlocking the device for certain lower amounts. Um, but there's still some work around, you know, how do you make that work completely seamless? And of course, the phone is designed to do loads and loads of things. You know, your contactless debit card or your contactless credit card or even something like Oyster, it's really designed to do one thing. And so trying to create a superior experience with a phone is is harder than you might imagine but equally well you know we're seeing these payment chips in the likes of barclays ping it for example being put into wearables or even stickers or just strips that exist on the back of a phone or on a wallet and they all work uh, pretty well as well and as i say that kind of idea of payment everywhere lots of objects will be able to do payment in the future and so i think the payment hardware question is kind of an interesting one um should microsoft have kind of got involved I mean, the kind of the obvious answer is is yes, it would have been good to, but I think they probably just had to do some uh, prioritization, and I think it would have been very difficult for them to convince any partners that they were going to be able to drive any serious kind of volume because of their weakness in the mobile space. And you know, uh, I'm sure Microsoft would love to be in a pe- better position, but it's not, and so that's the reality of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, people may have noticed, A, we're packing an awful lot in this week, and B, we're running a bit long, but that's absolutely fine because next week is half-term week in the UK, which means that my availability will be slightly reduced. I'm hoping, Ray, that we can make this an extra-long, extra-value podcast <laughs> and then skip a week and have a week off. Is that all right with you? That sounds like a good idea to me. 
Okay, we have one final exciting, enjoyable romp of a topic. Deli- I, I use the word romp advisedly because it's all about hiking and walking as something that's very dear to both our, our hearts. The latest Microsoft Band update, which uh, popped up a few days ago, uh, along with an associated uh, update to the health application, which works with it, obviously, introduces the new Explore tile with a picture of a hiker rave. So that means that you or I can now head off, and I don't know whether you've tried this, but I certainly have. You basically you, you start a hike, you head off with your Band 2, connected to either, a, ideally, a Windows phone, Windows 10 mobile device, but also it could be an iPhone or an Android phone. <laughs> uh, and you, you set off, uh, and as you go, you, it, it tracks where you are using the GPS built into the band too. You can double press the action button to, to save a particular point of interest. For example, you know, where you left your picnic or where you left your rucksack or it's an interesting thing, it's a, a waypoint that you want to get back to in order that you don't get lost. And on this, on the little screen, when you press the, the, to bring the screen up, it'll show you a little kind of track showing you as you zigzag, zigzag around the mountain or around the fields or around the concrete emplacements or whatever you have to be hiking around. Uh, and then as you obviously, you retrace your steps, you can just check that you are going the right way and you can find your way back to those, those particular waypoints. And plus, of course, it's also monitoring all the usual vital stats in terms of your pulse rate and your speed and your altitude. It's done really, really well. Uh, when you get back to base, you go into the Microsoft Health app on the phone, and there is a an aerial map showing the mountain and the hills and the streams and the lakes. And there's there's the little path that you followed, and you can tap on it and zoom in and zoom out. And uh, it's all very, very well done. I have to say, this Microsoft Band 2 is growing on me. People still say it looks like a, a prison brace, bracelet, but I don't care. Um, it's, it has all the sensors I want. The battery life is at least a couple of days for me. Uh, and I think that I, I'm starting to enjoy using the Band 2 more and more, Rafe, and I think you might enjoy this Explore tile too. Yeah, I haven't actually had a chance to try this out in the real world yet. I haven't really been able to go for a, a, a long enough walk. But it's really interesting because, of course, you know, the idea of... Um, tracking your physical activity you know the sports activity and you know running is actually pretty well established but this is the first time i've seen so much effort put into kind of the hiking or walking activity which i suspect is a pretty huge audience and there are people who who like the idea of doing it now of course you can use some of the other methods and you know just the run tracking for this but the advantage of this uh, microsoft approach is obviously they've tuned it for walking so that actually means that um they've kind of toned down the I think the frequency we're doing of things like the heart rate and the GPS monitoring, because they know they don't need to do it at such frequent intervals. And as a result, of course, the battery lasts a lot longer. And anyone who's tried to use a Microsoft Band 2 for tracking an all-day walk will know that the battery tends to run out. I mean, there's about three, maybe four hours of um, life, and it really depends on a couple of other factors. And particularly if you're switching on the GPS, you know, it, it doesn't work well. And But actually, if you go for a hike, it's not unusual to sort of set off at 10 o'clock in the morning, perhaps finish off at six in the evening. Of course, there'll, there'll be a failure. Yeah. And it's also, you know, things like um, encouraging you to stay hydrated and um, the weather alerts, all are kind of built around that kind of slightly longer exercise period. I kind of uh, laugh slightly at the uh, ultraviolet light monitoring. It's probably not ever that big a concern in the UK, <laughs> but <in> the <laughs> I, I'm sure there are places where people, you know, find it useful and you know also the fact it does the kind of the usual alerts um notifications it will do the music control the fact that it's available for all three platforms you know actually is an attractive thing for me because you know i will be using different devices i'm sure continue to do that in the future um the syncing still takes a a bit of time that feels like some work could be done there Uh, but the microsoft health app and then actually the companion website gives you an amazing amount of data and visualizes it uh, very well so you know 
yeah, it, it's great seeing along with the kind of the recent introduction of uh, leaderboards and competitions. That was uh, another nice step. So it's actually one of these uh, Microsoft mobile gadgets that's actually received an awful lot of love and attention. So I'm really actually looking forward to trying this out um, for myself and giving it a good run through its paces. And like you say, it's not the world's most attractive wearable, but um, I actually think Microsoft have identified something of a sweet spot here, um, potentially at least, because it feels like there is a space between kind of the, the Fitbit type sports trackers or the Xiaomi band, which, you know, start at maybe £10 and go right up to £150 and more. The kind of the dedicated sports watches and then the smart watches, you know, actually having the screen, being able to get alerts, you know, but then doing that tracking, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting base. And obviously people are still wondering and working out how it works. And I noticed that uh, Pebble um, in their Kickstarter campaign for the Pebble type, Two have also introduced kind of Pebble Core, which is another variation on doing this this tracking and actually similar to uh, this kind of exportile based around really what I'd call that kind of exercise or that life tracking and being able to, you know, say, I want to keep a record of, of this moment and that kind of combination of photos and voice notes and things like that. You know, I'm sure there's more exploring to do do in this area and how much you can automate that and what the visualization you can create from this. But certainly uh, Microsoft deserves a bit of credit for, for kind of pushing back the boundaries a bit here. Yeah, uh, more exploring to do, running through its paces. You're just on fire with all these, uh, these, these puns. <laughs> oh, I'm right? glad you noticed. <laughs> I, to be fair, I've only actually hiked about five miles in trying this out so far, and I can't really vouch for battery life. I, I need to do, as you just said, they do an eight-hour hike across uh, across the, the, the cliffs and, and the wilds of Wales, or the sort of thing that you do, in order to really try it out. I know there are some clever power-saving features, and certainly the screen is only on when you press the button, so there's no this is display power wasted. And I suspect, as you say, the GPS and the heart rate um, sensors are both pulsed, and whether it's once a minute or so, I think we need to test, but yes, it certainly seems fairly sensibly done, and certainly you wouldn't expect a hike, a hike to drain the, the, the battery of a band two within a couple of hours. I think that would be unreasonable given uh, how fast you're going. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft quote 12 hours. I think you can probably knock a couple yeah. off that. Bill certainly do more than the, as I say, the three or so hours that the band usually manages if you're doing, you know, tracking a run or something like that. Yeah, anyway, highly recommended, and I'm sure, Rafe, you will be trying it on your next I trip to, the, to that country over on the left of England. <laughs> right. <laughs> we are. I think we've called a halt to it there, Rafe. Um, we will catch people in about uh, 10 to 11 days' time, hopefully Monday or Tuesday, the week after the half-term. Uh, in the meantime, I will say goodbye. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, I'll let Rafe sign off. Yeah, it's a goodbye from me. Thanks for listening, and yes, tune in in 10 days or so time. Thanks very much.